It's wonderful to be here with all of you today to worship God in spirit and in truth. And this morning, for just a little while, I want to talk about a passage that's found in the book of Joel, the second chapter, and verses 12 and 13, where the Bible says, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Our passage basically brings the title before us, and that is, Rend Your Heart and Not Your Garments. We're going to talk about what that means practically in just a minute. But in ancient times, you remember, in the Near Eastern lands, when individuals wished to show their mourning or a deep sense of sorrow, they would tear their garments. That was a custom that they did. In fact, we go back to the Old Testament and we realize when Jacob mourned for Joseph, the Bible says that he tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth on his waist and he mourned for his son many days. Also, we find when Job, you remember, when he lost his family and he lost all of his possessions, and the Bible says in Job chapter 1 and verse 20, Then Job arose, and he tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground, and he worshipped. When King David, you remember, mourned of the passing of King Saul, and he mourned the passing of his dear friend Jonathan and Jonathan's brothers, we find that this is what David did. Therefore David took hold of his own clothes and tore them. And so did all the men who were with him, and they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. Now the custom of tearing the clothes was an external way of expressing what they were feeling on the inside. In other words, it was an outward show of an in inward anguish. Another thing that they would customarily did, and our minds go back to the Pharisee and the publican that prayed, you remember that the publican or tax collector smote his breast. That was an outward sign of an inward anguish. The tearing of the clothes was an outward sign of an inward anguish. Now, we don't have that custom today. I thought about that this morning when I went into my closet. I went into my closet and I saw all these clothes. In fact, clothing is easy to come by. In fact, material is not that expensive. But in Bible times, it was very expensive. So clothing was scarce. And people really had to take care of what they had. And I looked at my closet and I thought, you know, how many times have I purged my closet and given things away? And I've been the recipient of that too, where somebody else purged their, cl their closet and gave me their things. It's easy to get clothing today. So if we had a custom of tearing our garments as an outward sign of an inward anguish, it really would be meaningless. But what if your garments were hard to come by? What if the material was very expensive? That's exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about a custom in a time. It was, they would be under such great anguish inside, they would rent or they would tear the clothing, and it meant something. In the day of Joel, though, the fickle people of Israel had a history, though, of acting one way and being another. And for their sins, God's prophets proclaimed that God would bring judgment upon them, and Joel was one of those prophets. Nevertheless, 
There was time for repentance. And what Joel is doing in this passage that we're going to notice in just a moment again, he's emphasizing that it had to be the people's heart that changed and not just the outward appearance. It has to be the heart. And this is the passage. We noticed this in our introduction. Rend your heart and not your garments. Now in this passage we realize it is all about the heart first. Their heart had to change and not merely the outward appearance. And so the phrase, rend your heart and not your garments. You know, I think the message of Joel rings true today. God has always demanded your heart. God wants, desires, and demands your heart. Look at the words of the psalmist David. I'm going to notice several passages here, but notice this passage in Psalm 51 and 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. A couple of things about this. Now, we know when it comes to our sins, right? Jesus was the propitiation. That's a fancy word for meaning this. He paid the price or paid the fine. The great sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and as our brother prayed about Jesus and all that he means to us, and our brother waited on the table and mentioned about Jesus, we would have no hope without Jesus. He paid the price. He paid the fine. He was the supreme sacrifice for the sins of the entire world. Okay, we get that. What about the sacrifices that we make? Under the law of Moses, they had to bring the blood of bulls and of animals, and that would be a, a sacrificial offering to the Lord or to God for the sins of the people. What's David talking about, though? Jesus did his part and died to shed his blood for the salvation of the world to take away sin. But what's your responsibility? Your responsibility and my responsibility, if we're going to have the proper sacrifice to God, is to come to God with a broken and contrite heart. I'm going to tell you what. People don't like this word broken. And they sure don't like the word contrite. We live in a society today where people don't want to be responsible for their actions. You know what the Bible says? Have a contrite heart. That's what, the God, that's what God wants. And by the way, contrite means this. A feeling of remorse affected by guilt. You know, I understand about guilt. If we didn't have guilt or a guilty conscience, we wouldn't change anything. So when it comes to sin, Jesus made the supreme sacrifice and shedding of his blood. But when we sin in our life, after we, have, after we have realized that, we have to do so with a broken and contrite heart. We have to come to God with that kind of a sacrifice. And David said, these, O God, you will not despise. Psalm 51 and 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. In Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. You know, I got to thinking about this concept. Of all the things that are produced by the heart, the heart is what God desires from man. And it's from that heart that either good things or wicked things come. I, I don't know if this is popular or not. I really don't care. I think it's true. There are people in the world that are wicked and bad people. There are. 
And there's a difference between somebody that makes a mistake or somebody that's weak and somebody that is wicked. I've known some people in my life that were truly wicked, mean people. You know why? Because their behavior is demonstrated outwardly, but it comes from a mean or a wicked heart. The Bible says in this passage that what comes from the heart are the issues of life, whether good or bad, whether evil or good. Big difference. So it matters. But what about Jesus? What did Jesus say? Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 35. A good man out of a good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of an evil treasure brings forth evil things. In Matthew chapter 15 and verse 8, I'm going to notice two passages here that Jesus said. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Then verse 9. So in vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. A couple of things about this. Jesus, in context, was talking to scribes and Pharisees. I'm not going to go into the context or the history behind what he's talking about. I want to make one point. He said this. He said, their heart is far from me. And he also said, they worship me. You know what this tells me? It tells me that it's entirely possible for someone to be going through the acts of worship and going through the motions, but their heart is far from God. Have you ever stopped to consider you can be in the assembly? You can be going through the items of worship. God has you in the pew, but he doesn't have your heart. You know what God wants? He wants your heart. And if you only are occupying a seat and punching a time clock, that's not good enough. God wants the heart. He wants you. He wants all of that. And by the way, the heart, that word heart, that Greek word, is found 158 times, I believe, in the New Testament. And it's defined in a figurative sense in some things and a literal sense in other things. But listen, when it is not used in a metaphorical sense, it means this. It means the mind or intelligence. So in these passages, we're finding that our, the mouth says one thing, but they don't mean it. We can praise God, but our heart's far from God. What's the Bible say about that? Old Testament passage, Isaiah 29 and 13. Therefore, the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw, with me, draw to me near me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. Notice this. What are they doing? They're drawing nigh to me with their mouth. They're honoring me with their lips, but they've removed their hearts far from me. I think it's brilliant how the New King James renders that with the word removed because it talks about a choice. In other words, you're doing that. It's an act of the person. It's an act of the person that is honoring God with their lips, but they've removed their heart from God. God wants your heart. Have you given him your heart? You know, in the days of Joel, when Joel wrote these things, God's call to them to repent for their sins went unanswered. But you know, there's still time. 
There's still time in our life to repent of things that we do wrong. And that's what we're talking about here, by the way. And there's time to do that. And there's time to be forgiven. And there's time to be better in the future than we've been in days gone by, as our brother prayed. But oftentimes, the call of God for repentance and change in our life goes unanswered, just like it did in the day of Job. God wants your heart. One preacher said it like this. He said, will we give our hearts to God so that he may make of them what he wills? Will we in humility kneel before the Father of all men and give him what is due to him? All right. In summary and in conclusion in this little sermon, the phrase, rend your hearts and not your garments. Let me tell you, first of all, what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that your outward acts of service to God don't matter. Some people look at this passage and they say what this means is it doesn't really matter what you do outwardly. All that matters is that you have a good heart inwardly and have some sort of relationship inwardly to God. That's not what this passage means. What this passage is talking about means this. The phrase, rend your hearts and not your garments. It means we must look inward to make changes to our hearts before our actions on the outside can be seen as a legitimate exercise to serve. Got to change on the inside. Got to change on the inside first. Sometimes people struggle. They do. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And let me just say this. If you're having a problem with your heart, and you're spiritually speaking, you're having heart trouble, maybe it's because you're having a treasure problem. If your treasure is worldly things... If your treasure is the pleasures of life, if your treasures are the sinful pleasures of life, if your treasure is things from this world and not spiritual things, you know what? You're going to have some problems. Jesus brilliantly said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And by the way, if your treasures are in heaven and we're laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven and spiritual things mean more to us than anything else, Everything else falls into place by way of our outward action. So if we have a heart problem, we got to fix where the treasure is. Where's your treasure and what's important to you in your life? I'm finished now. I just want to say this in final, one final remark. I understand that we live in a time that is difficult. And I understand there, there's distractions all around us. I get it. I understand that. And maybe there's distractions around our young people that are worse than ever before and harder on them than maybe it was for me or you or at any other time that we grew up. I get that. And we may be having some difficult times moving forward that even make it more difficult. I don't know how it'll be for my grandkids one day. I don't know. But I will tell you this. The pattern is true and the pattern rings true today. And it's the same thing that we talked about all the way back in the book of Joel. If you get your heart right and you get your treasure right, Jesus said, your heart will be in the right place and you'll be able to make those proper decisions in your life that you need to make. And you'll be able to stand up against the temptations and distractions that are all around you. And you can live successfully the Christian life all the days of your life. And you know what? One day and one day it'll be worth it when we make heaven one day. 
We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.